0: As we come to our study of the Word of God this morning, I hope and pray that this message will be a message of encouragement for you. I know that sometimes just the opposite happens when we gather together. We come to church to be built up and encouraged in our walk with the Lord, but sometimes we can go away discouraged because when we're here, we begin thinking thoughts like this. We say, well, I I can't sing like those people up front or I can't speak in public, or I don't have some unique talent like so many other people have. I had lunch a while back with a man in our church, and he said to me in the conversation, I can't believe how many talented people there are at grace. And he was saying it in a positive way and in in a very uh, good way, but I thought later, you know, sometimes when we see that, we can be intimidated. Sometimes we get the impression that, God can't use us in His service. God can't use us in the lives of others because we don't have some amazing talent. I hope that thought will be dispelled from your heart and mind as we see what the Word of God has to say about this subject this morning. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as you're turning there, I want to say that I am indebted to the late Dr. Adrian Rogers for many of these thoughts. It was his message on this subject that really crystallized and helped me understand this very, very important topic. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please follow along as I begin reading in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, Paul says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, before we jump into these verses and jump into our study this morning, let me just. See who is here. I've done this in the past, but it's been years and years since I've, I've taken a poll like this. So let me take a little poll here for just a moment. Uh, has anyone here ever made it into any kind of hall of fame? Please just raise your hand. Now, don't come on. Don't, I know you're humble people, but we, we you just raise your hand if you've been in the, surely there's been one or two in some kind of hall of fame. All right, are there any scholars here, Phi Beta, Phi Beta Kappas, members of any honor society? Can I see your hand? Good. Thanks for being honest about that. All right. Uh, anyone listed in who's who of any kind? Oh, yeah, we have a couple who's here this morning. All right. Good. Uh, anyone here ever made All American, All State, All Conference in some sport? Let me see your hand. Yeah, great. So we've had several who've done that. All right. Are there any ladies here who have ever been Miss America or <laughs> Miss Montana or Miss Coal Strip or something like that? <laughs> anyone here like that? Come on. I know you're going to be hesitant. Surely there are some. All right, anyone here who was president of your class in high school or college or something like that? Good, all right. I have several scattered throughout. Uh, Anyone here voted most likely to succeed? Anyone here? All right, well, we have a few of those. All right, well, listen, if you raised your hand, I've got great news for you. God can use you too. (laughs) He really can, but he has to work harder to do it Because God's normal method is to take ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks so that He gets the glory, so that He gets the credit. That's God's plan. God takes what the world calls a foolish message. Verse 18 here of 1 Corinthians 1 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So God takes what the world calls a foolish message, and God takes a simple, ordinary messenger. He puts the two together, and the result is that God is glorified. And beloved, glorifying God is the sum total of everything. That's what the entire universe is here for, the glory of God The purpose and goal of everything is to glorify God. And our text says that God chooses to use simple, common, ordinary people to accomplish his task. Now, let me make two clarifications at this point before we consider this text in detail. Uh, Two or three clarifications. Number one, please notice, beginning in verse 26, that God does not say here in this verse, not any mighty, not any noble. Okay? God can and does use specially gifted people when he knows that kind of individual will submit to him or when pride doesn't get in the way. The Apostle Paul is a good example. Paul had an incredible mind It ranks among the greatest ever. But in Philippians 3, 7, he said, What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I count all things loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So God can and does use specially gifted individuals who have that kind of perspective and that kind of focus. The second clarification I want to make is that this truth that we're going to talk about this morning, the truth that is spelled out here in this text, is not an excuse for laziness or mediocrity or half-heartedness. You may not be a gifted singer or gifted musician or gifted scholar or extremely talented in some other way, but whatever Whatever ministry you're involved in you should do it to the utmost of your ability. Colossians 3:23 says and whatever you do do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And remember that verse was written to first century Christian slaves. Christian slaves. And Paul told them whatever you do do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Ecclesiastes 9:10 says whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might. Just because God usually chooses to use ordinary people doesn't grant us an excuse for laziness, mediocrity, or half-heartedness. I heard of a preacher once who had quite a reputation for being a fox hunter. And once this preacher was at the barbershop getting a haircut from a Quaker, and this particular Quaker said to the preacher, if I were a fox, and he's baiting him, of course, with this, if I were a fox, I would hide me where thee could not find me. And the preacher took the bait and said, oh yeah, where's that? The Quaker replied, in thy study. Well, the truth here in 1 Corinthians 1 doesn't make up for that kind of lack of diligence or lack of effort. As one man put it, it doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. It just takes all there is of him. So that's the point I'm trying to make in this second item of clarification. This truth is not an excuse for laziness, half-heartedness. And maybe a third point of clarification somewhat related to that, this truth is not an excuse for ignoring sin in our lives. This is not an excuse for a, a, a refusal to deal with sin in our lives. To say, hey, well, God can use anyone, and you don't have to be some great person to be used by God, so I, don't, I won't really address that sin in my life. This is not an excuse for a lack of taking holiness seriously. So, with all that in mind, let's consider this text together. The outline this morning is very simple we'll look at the qualifications to serve God then some illustrations, and then some applications. So three simple points. Qualifications, illustrations, and applications. First, the qualifications necessary to be used of God. Or to say it another way, the qualifications necessary to serve God. What are they? Well, verse 27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. The idea here is that you don't have to be a Ph.D. or a Th.D. to be used of God. You don't have to be a Phi Beta Kappa or an honor student to be used of God. You don't have to be an educator or a scholar or someone with lots of degrees to serve God. You don't have to be wise in the eyes of the world. You don't have to have a, a, a high IQ to be used of God. Because God has chosen The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Verse 27 continues. It says, And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. This word weak means physically weak. You don't have to be a world-class athlete to be used of God. You don't have to be the epitome of physical fitness to be a powerful tool in God's hand. You don't have to be the picture of health, you know, no frailties to serve God because God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Verse 28 continues. It adds another (coughs) group to the list. Verse 28, and the base things. Maybe your translation says insignificant or lowly things. Of the world. This word means of low birth or not upper class. God is not dependent on the elite in society. God is not dependent on the upper echelon or the rich and the famous. He can can use those people if He chooses, but that's generally not His pattern. Verse 28 continues it says, And the things which are despised, God has chosen. God even chooses to use those who are despised. Those who are looked down upon. Those who are disliked. Is there anyone who doesn't like you? Is there anyone who looks down on you? If so, then you are qualified to be used of God. You are qualified to serve God. There's one other group mentioned here at the end of verse 28. It says, The base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. The fifth and final group is classified as things that are not. Maybe you're saying, Brian, it's not that they don't like me, they don't even know I exist. They don't even know I'm around. Well, God chooses to use nobodies. God chooses to use those who don't make any hall of fame. God chooses to use those who don't make it into who's who. Those not voted most likely to succeed. Those are the kind of people God majors in using for His glory. So who is qualified To be used of God. Who is qualified to serve God? Five qualifications. You don't have to have all of them, but here are the five. The non-intellectual, the weak, the insignificant, the despised, and nobodies. If you meet one of those qualifications, then God can and wants to use you for His glory. If you meet one of those qualifications, you can serve God. You see, God wants to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways, and then God gets the glory. God gets the credit. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, and you are pursuing Christ's likeness, then you can serve God. You are qualified to be used of God. It's an insult to the omnipotent God to say, He can't use you because you're too insignificant. God can use you. God wants to use you. And then he gets the credit for what's accomplished. To see this in another passage, turn over to the right to 2 Corinthians. We're in 1st. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Verse 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that's just a way of saying, the same God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has saved us, He has shown in our hearts, He's transformed us He's, he's made us new creations, and verse seven says. But, so this is a glorious thing. Verse 6, one of the greatest statements in all the New Testament. What a glorious affirmation. But verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Clay pots, the original Greek term, clay jars. We have this treasure, this salvation in earthen vessels. Why put such a glorious thing in a common clay pot? Here's the answer. So that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That's it. That's why God uses ordinary earthen vessels. That's why God saves ordinary people and uses them in His service. Because then it is obvious that it is His power, not our power. And that is the point of our text back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now let's go back there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we've seen the qualifications to be used of God, the qualifications necessary to serve God. Now let's walk through some illustrations. Let's just go right back to the same text, same points, but that's, let's attach some some flesh and blood examples, some human examples, living illustrations, or living illustrations from the past. Verse 27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the foolish. A perfect illustration in my mind of this was Billy Sunday. Some of you may recognize that name from history. Billy Sunday only had a high school education. He had laughable ideas. He used slang language. He was given to, do, to, to to doing strange things at times when he would preach. He would somersault on the platform backwards to illustrate repentance, you know, turning around. He, he, just, he just did some, some unusual quirky things. In fact, one time after preaching, he gave an invitation for people to come forward to respond if they were really wanting to know Christ or commit their lives to Christ. And one man who came forward on that occasion had a long white beard. And it was obvious to those who tell this story and those who were there that Billy Sunday was fascinated with that beard. He just was enamored with it. And eventually, it's almost as if he could not contain himself any further. He walked over to that man. Now, this man is, you know, broken, and he's, he's coming forward to, to want to give his life to Christ. Billy Sunday walked over to that man, reached out, grabbed the man's beard, and went, honk, honk. Can you believe that? He did that during an invitation. You say, God couldn't use a man like that. Oh, but he did. It is said that Billy Sunday led over a million people to faith in Christ. You say, oh, that's an exaggeration. Okay, half a million. That's still amazing. God has chosen to use the foolish things to put to shame the wise. Now, don't go around pulling people's beards. That's obviously not the point. The point is God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Billy Sunday's message was simple. He preached hell hot, heaven sweet, sin black, judgment sure, and Jesus saves. And God used him tremendously in his era, in his setting. Verse 27 goes on to say, God has chosen the weak things. It says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. How about an illustration for this one? I remember a while back hearing of an evangelistic crusade in Florida called the Week of Champions. It was a crusade directed toward high school students to expose them to some star Christian athletes, fellowship of Christian athletes, sent some people to this event. So did athletes in action, both professional and college athletes came to give their testimonies about their salvation, their relationship with Christ. And one of the athletes that came for the event was a man named Paul Anderson, who at that time was the strongest man in the world. He was an Olympic weightlifter and dubbed the strongest man in the world. Paul Anderson gave his testimony at this event. And his testimony was basically this. If the strongest man in the world needs Jesus, so do you. And it was a good testimony. He did a good job presenting it. The next Sunday, a college student was talking to a pastor in this particular city in Florida where the event was held. And this particular college student told the pastor that he had received Christ during the week of champions. He had given his life to Christ. He was converted. He was, he, was, he was sold out to Christ. And this particular pastor said, oh, really, that's wonderful to hear. What night, on what night did you surrender your life to Christ? The college student said, well, it was the night that Paul Anderson was there. And the pastor said, wow, wasn't that a great testimony he gave so powerful. What was it that Paul Anderson said that the Lord used to grab your heart? And this college student said, frankly, I don't remember anything that Paul Anderson said. It wasn't what he said that impacted me. It was actually Mr. Wilson's testimony that the Lord used. And the pastor thought for a moment, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson, which Which one of the athletes was he? And then it hit the pastor who Mr. Wilson was. In the pre-service, before the, the service even began, there was sort of an open testimony time, and Mr. Wilson gave his testimony. Mr. Wilson was a paraplegic in a wheelchair. He rolled himself forward to give his testimony of what Christ had done in his life and how Christ had transformed him. And this college student said, it was that testimony that the Lord used to draw me to Christ. Isn't that amazing? In that gymnasium that night was the strongest man in the world. And God chose to use a paraplegic in a wheelchair to lead a college student to faith in Christ. That's the way God works. God has chosen the weak things, verse 27 says. Verse 28 says, and the base things of the world, or the insignificant things of the world. The illustration that comes to my mind is Gideon. Turn back with me to Judges chapter 6. Go back after the Pentateuch of Genesis through Deuteronomy, then Joshua, Judges, Judges chapter 6. We read this familiar story. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sworn, uh, uh, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought brought you up from, from Egypt and brought you into the house of And brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, and belonged to Joash, the Abizirite, whose son while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us? and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Do you see the objection that Gideon gave? He said, Lord, I'm a nobody. Manasseh is the worst of all the tribes of Israel, and my family is the poorest one in Manasseh, and I'm the runt in our family. God, you can't use me. You've got the wrong man. And it's as if the Lord said, Gideon, you meet the qualifications. You're qualified. You are my general to lead an army against the Midianites. And notice what God did over in chapter 7, verse 1. Then uh, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many. For me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has, prev- has saved me or prevailed for me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remain. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you; the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you; the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, "Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men." But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. God trimmed Gideon's army from 32,000 down to 300. And Gideon's army won. God took a nobody general and a nothing army and whipped the Midianites, and God got the glory. God got the credit. I can just hear Gideon telling his 300 men, men were surrounded by the enemy. Don't let a one of them escape. I mean, that was the confidence that God gave him because God chooses to use the insignificant things of the world. And Gideon said, I'm, I'm insignificant. You can't use me. And God said, you're qualified. Our text also says, we won't turn right back to it. It says, God has chosen to use the despised things. To illustrate that one, turn with me on our way back to First Corinthians. Stop by 1 Samuel 17. After Judges is Ruth and 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here in 1 Samuel 17, we have the famous story of David and Goliath. As you will remember, David was just a teenager at the time. Goliath was blaspheming the God of Israel, so David decided to fight him. You know, as you read through this story, we don't have time to go through all of it, but David's perspective on this whole ordeal was fantastic. While everybody was looking at Goliath and saying, look how big he is compared to me, David was saying, look how small he is compared to God. And while everyone else was saying, oh, he's too big to hit, David was saying, man, he's too big to miss. And so we pick up the story in verse 41. Verse 41 So the Philistines came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He despised him. That's what we're talking about, things that are despised. He despised him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Verse 42, or verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Now don't miss this next phrase. It's the key to the whole story. He says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now, what would have happened if there had been an an Israeli giant that defeated Goliath? Well, it would have just been a good fight with the right side winning. But when David won, everybody had to say, There must be a God in Israel. Everybody knew that God, that God had defeated Goliath, even David. You never see David signing his name, King David G.K., giant killer. He never signed his name that way. When David killed Goliath, everyone knew there was a God in Israel. Wouldn't, li- wouldn't you like everyone to know there's a God in Bozeman? Well, it's not going to happen if we expect a bunch of superstar Christians to serve God. It's only going to happen if you and I get serious about serving God and letting Him use us for His glory. Then people will have to say, there's a God in Bozeman. That's what it's all about. Now back to 1 Corinthians 1 for the final category of people God chooses to use. Back to our text there in 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 28 says, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, here's the final one, and things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. The final category is things which are not. These are God's nobodies. No one ever hears of them. Their names never make it in print. They never do anything Public. They don't even get to lead in silent prayer. They, they don't make who's who. It took you a little while to get that one, all right? They, they don't make who's who. They don't even make who's not. But even though to the world they are nobodies, to God they are somebodies. Beloved, it's going to be a different world when you get to heaven. It's going to be a different world. There are some people who do behind-the-scenes stuff like working in the nursery, changing diapers, wiping noses, giving drinks of water, and there are the prayer warriors that no one knows about. These are the nobodies 1 Corinthians 28 is talking about. It's going to be a great day when the saints go marching in and God's nobodies are finally seen as God's somebodies. In Matthew 10, Jesus said that even a cup of cold water given in his name, won't go unrewarded. So what applications can we draw from this text, this truth this morning? Let me give you three applications. Number one, that this truth is a rebuke to our pride. It's a rebuke to our pride. Verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. God works this way so that no flesh glories in his presence. So that no one says, I did it, I accomplished it. In Isaiah 42, 8, God said, my glory I will not give to another. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me you can do nothing. Sometimes we get the impression that we're responsible for what happens. We even use phrases like this. We're doing great things for God. I always cringe every time I hear that. We're doing great things for God. Reminds me of the woodpecker who was pecking on a pine tree, and just about that time as he's pecking away, a bolt of lightning hit it and and split the tree from the top to the bottom, while the woodpecker, you know, backed up, quickly flew away, but returned later with nine other woodpeckers and said with pride in his chest, you know, all boasting out, there it is, fellows, right over there. That's the way we are sometimes when God chooses to use us. We think we've done it. That we've pulled it off somehow. What a terrible mistake. This truth is a rebuke to our pride. Secondly, this truth is a recognition of our power. Verse 30 says, But, here's the contrast, of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. You're joined to Christ by faith who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption And the list is not exhaustive there because Paul says other things elsewhere and Peter does also. The point is, listen, if you're in Christ, you have everything that God could possibly give you. God hasn't withheld anything. If if we have Christ, we have these things and so much more. God has not held back anything from us that hinders us from being used of Him. He hasn't held back anything that would hinder us from serving Him. If we are in Christ, If if you belong to Christ, you're qualified to serve God. So this truth is a rebuke to our pride. It is a recognition of our power. And thirdly, it's a reminder to praise. Because verse 31 says that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. Don't glory in your own abilities, your own merits, your own accomplishments. And remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, this very letter, just a couple chapters later, 1 Corinthians 4: What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Anything you have, your intelligence, your strength, your abilities, whatever you have, you received. So that's why verse 31 can say, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Even if you are uniquely gifted, uniquely talented, that all came from the Lord. It's not your own doing. You say, yeah, but I developed it. I really worked hard at it. Who gave you the ability to develop it? Who gave you the ability to work hard at it, to excel in whatever uniqueness you have? Still comes back to the Lord. All of it. So this truth is a rebuke to our pride, it's a recognition of our power, and it's a reminder to praise. As the songwriter said it all, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. Beloved, God can use you. You can serve God and be used by Him. Let's bow together as we close. As you bow your head in closing, just contemplate the glorious truth that we've heard this morning. It should be a tremendous encouragement to us that God can use us. We don't have to be the elite in society. We don't have to be in the upper echelon. Just ordinary people. God chooses to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks. And then he gets the credit. He gets the glory. So if you are in Christ, you're qualified. If you're not in Christ, if you're not joined to Christ, then you don't need to be thinking about serving the Lord because you need, before you serve him, you need to submit to him, you need to surrender to him. So call on him today and tell him you want to be joined to him. You want to be one with him. And then you're qualified to serve him. And if you are in Christ, have you sold yourself short? Maybe a better way to say it, sold the Lord short by saying, well, I can't do anything. I can't serve God. You can't. Just tell him, Lord, I want to be used. Guide me into where I can be most useful to serve you. And then use me for your glory. Father, we see from this text that this is really what it's all about. Just us as ordinary people, common ordinary people, doing whatever you've put before us, whatever you've called us to do, and you accomplishing great things in people's lives, and then you get the credit you get the glory. Thank you that you use us common clay pots, just ordinary jars of clay to accomplish your purposes. Father, I pray we would be a church family of people, all of whom who know Christ, say, Lord, how do you want to use me? I just want to be available. How do you want to use me? May that be our prayer, our desire, our offer. As we present our bodies at a living sacrifice, we pray these things together in the matchless name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.